0: Welcome back to the Lessons for Tomorrow podcast, the motivational poster in your ear. I'm your host, Tim Alanias, VP of Strategic Initiatives at AmericanEagle.com. Digital transformation is still gaining speed as computers and devices are becoming more consistent companions in our daily activities, and each year introduces or escalates a variety of trending buzzwords. Recently, during one of the November 2021 Accelerate webinars, I put a spotlight on 10 concepts that people are consistently talking about today and where they might take us tomorrow. And now over to the 10 buzzwords that are driving tomorrow's tech. I'm excited to talk through the topic for today and to be part of the Accelerate webinar process. Looking forward to this one and hopefully more in the future as well as we go into 2022. I'm with AmericanEagle.com, VP Strategic Initiatives, been in the industry for over 20 years. And with that, I've been wearing many, many hats over my career. So from all aspects of when I started a company in college for Sales and running the business and running the servers and programming to design, all that led me into the fun role of strategy and being technically minded enough that developers can't pull the wool over my eyes, but also not savvy enough to continue my coding skills, which honestly I am happy to leave behind as of uh, where I'm at in today's world. Very exciting areas, though. I always try and go back and dabble a little bit and excited to talk through and present to you today a bit more about some fun topics. AmericanEagle.com is a great partner of Accelerates, and we appreciate the opportunity to present to all of you. We have been in business for over 25 years. We are nationwide with a lot of office locations in the U.S., but also internationally, we have been expanding and growing. We have 650-plus employees, and we offer full-service aspects of creative, digital, and technology. So, our 10 buzzwords for the day. We are going to be talking through each one of these and really understanding their impact. And while not all of them are new for 2022 as we head into the next year, a lot of them are having a bigger focus in 2022 from businesses focusing on how to implement these different areas. And a lot of the different solutions that are out there, platforms and, SaaS solutions as well, that are focusing on these buzzwords that much more. So I'm excited today to talk through headless and composable, CDPs, security hygiene or cybersecurity hygiene, multi-cloud infrastructure, data science, AI, mobile-first, human-computer interaction, and user-centered design. So a lot of fun topic areas for us today. So overall, let's jump right into headless. And headless is one that doesn't just apply to commerce. I've got an example here from Big Commerce, one of our other partners, just talking about headless from an e-commerce perspective, but there's headless approach in multitude of areas. So really, at the end of the day, it's the separation of the front end and back end, and it can be an e-commerce application, it can be a content application. We work with many clients who are also looking at content delivery methods through a headless approach. And at the kind of forefront of it, it's really going in and saying, hey, your platform, which used to handle all this with templates and page templates and themes, is now actually just separating the two experiences so that we have a back end that you put all of your content in that you want displayed, and you have a front end that's implemented to display that content as it pulls it from one to many different sources. And as we look through the opportunities of why to go headless, a lot of aspects come from time saved and that time saved is because we can now make front end changes without being tied to back end template or page template changes component template changes that may have to be applied by a developer pushed to production and sent out through that standard method of development we're now allowing the front end developers to really build that interface out with javascript and html and css and call in the ability to display what they need because the backend supports those calls, through that API layer. So as you see in the diagram on the right, the user experience is all that front end, the presentation layer, but we also tie into reporting analytics, and we have this API layer, which is really connecting us to all the different systems that are out there. With this, we really just want to make sure that we look at being able to launch things quickly. That's one of the promises of headless. We look at rich user experiences and interfaces and how those are applicable to what we need to deliver in different devices, different viewing formats, with over 54% of the world now starting mobile first. We'll talk about this in a later point, but it is important to be able to let each of those devices deliver a rich user experience and an interface that is engaging to your end customer or your end user. And Headless really gives us this approach by providing an opportunity to go in and decouple that presentation layer so you can really make it what you need, but also so that you can look at how to use the content in multiple, multiple channels. And when you look at that opportunity and the ability to have these calls through that API layer to deliver in a different assortment of channels, it really extends the capabilities of your organization so that you're not having duplicate redundant content in different systems, but you truly get to that core system that is where you manage your content, and then it is dispersed out through that API layer wherever you need it to go, and it's presented however you need it to go. could be your front-end facing website to the public. could be a portal interface that your dealers or that your customers log into for additional information. And it could even go down into mobile apps or kiosks. Uh, it all depends on what you need to deliver your content in which channels where Headless can come into play. So Headless, it's here to stay, and it's one that a lot of the different platforms that are out there are starting to embrace and are creating that API layer so that you can call that information through to present wherever you need to present it. So Headless is definitely something, as you look at either a full-stack developer or a front-end developer and a back-end developer, there are skill sets specifically for how to deliver upon it on both sides of the fence. As we look at composable, our second buzzword. uh, So composable is really about different ways to abstract, and we talk about physical locations in the definition, but it's managed through software in a web-based interface, right? So we can take different components. We can say, hey, I'm pulling from this specific application to display this information over here, but we're making it in these composable areas so that we don't have to have everything going through a single interface. We can have pre-existing building blocks and those are allowing us to do a, a plug and play model in a sense where I can build out these blocks. I can drop them into my page and I can allow a lot of different types of front end users to apply these throughout. And you build a library of these. And when you have this library, it allows you to very quickly update the UX feel. But it also allows you to integrate in from other solutions. So a lot of times we have systems now like Salesforce that would have APIs. We can bring the information inbound into one of these composable widgets. And then a marketing user or a content admin could go in and they could build out this kind of micro app. They could build out a web page. They could build out a dashboard for whatever they need with these pre-built components, but they don't have to go in. They can just configure them to what they need to display, and those components are already set up in a responsive method so that whether it's on a website or on a desktop computer or if it's on a mobile device, it's responsively adjusting to that screen, and those components are already there, and you don't have to recreate them every time. And it really enables those end users to go in and build out these future application experiences. And it allows you to create new business scenarios. And and Gartner talks about this in their 2021 Strategic Roadmap for the composable future of applications. So it's it's very much a new focus. It's been there in the past of how people have built different solutions, but it's one that's now approaching the entire enterprise and taking that modular approach into the entire business holistically. So we want to deliver outcomes throughout different areas. So, again, whether it's a website, and it's customer-facing or it's an internal department need where they need to be able to do reporting, building this composable library out across your enterprise is going to be a big growth as we move forward into 2022. So as we look at number three, a CDP, this is a customer data platform, and we look at CDPs. So CDPs are really coming into play to create this comprehensive database of customer information that's accessible to other systems. So we've had CRMs, we've had ERPs, we've had OMSs for order management systems, and we have this customer data that's just everywhere. It also goes into your marketing automation platforms. And there's the need to bring all this information back together, and that's what the CDP is really doing. It's aggregating all of that customer data from all of the different touch points that your customer has with your organization. And what we want to do, and and what the CDP helps organizations do, is to transform all those disjointed data points into a single unified profile of the customer. And this is extremely important because it allows us to very effectively use this information, all that data, to create these 360-degree customer profiles. Now, this is not new. 360-degree customer profiles have been talked about for 10-plus years in the industry. And we've had this data and we've used it in different ways, but we're really bringing the CDP in to then help make decisions about segmentation and how to look at the kind of big next wave of marketing automation, in my opinion, of automated user journeys. And these automated user journeys are critical from the marketing automation platforms that are out there today to be able to be powered by all of this data that the CDP can pull together. And we want to activate all of this rich data because it's context-rich. And that context is so important in the way that we don't just do personalization anymore. It's really individualized experiences. And the reason that we're at that point is because we've had a lot of the large organizations that customers are daily engaging with, such as Netflix and Amazon and others, that are really creating a unique experience based off all the data they have, People have come to expect that personalized, but at that individual level now, experience overall. Now, on the B2C side, I'd say that's 100% accurate. You need to look at how to deliver on that if your customer base is ready for it. Not every organization's customer base is ready for individualization. Segmentation is still very appropriate. It is not dead in terms of how you group and target to those groups of people. And the reason for that is because there's a different level of maturity for everyone's customers at each organization. So as you grow in your maturity with your customers' expectations, that's going to allow you to see where certain areas of your business may need to be more individualized and others might still be more segmentized. And the reason for this is because we don't want to go in and put all the effort into individualizing the experience if it's not going to benefit the organization's bottom line. The customer experience is critical, but that has to be tied into impacting your bottom line as an organization. So the CDP brings a whole other aspect of data management. It brings into the evaluation of how to make decisions and where those decisions are applied to deliver across multiple channels. And that can be anywhere from email to social to even a call center who can utilize this information to deliver the best experience. And I would say one example from real life for me is I shopped online back in May from a large retailer for a new couch. And I bought this couch alongside of my wife, and we made that decision. We put in the order. And they gave us some good heads up and information about the delivery expectations, logistics, and everything else that were going on. And they said, all right, well, you bought this end of May. It's not going to ship and be to you until end of October. Like, okay, well, at least it's before the holidays. Then in September, we got the email of, hey, your shipment's been delayed. Now, what was nice is they actually pulled in all the information from the original ship date. They included a note to call and talk with them about any concerns that we have. And so I actually did. And I called them and talked to them, and they explained the exact problem. What was great about the experience was that they actually understood exactly what I ordered I didn't have to go into much depth of what my order number was or anything. They had that information at their fingertips. They immediately were empowered to actually give me an additional discount on my order because of the delay, because it got pushed from October until end of January. And it was due to this international foam shortage, which I had no idea was more of the problem than the logistics of shipping right now, but that's what it was. But the fact that that call center support person was empowered to not only, have all the information about my order, my past history with them as a loyal customer, and then also the ability to provide me an additional discount without having to go through the whole rigmarole of, oh, let me go talk to my supervisor and see what we can do. I didn't have to push for it. That experience was critical, and knowing that they have a CDP behind the scenes to deliver that is where you can continue to deliver customer experiences like that. Now, behind CDPs is always implementations and integrations. So learning all the important aspects of how to connect that data and have that data cleansed as best possible because of duplicate aspects of customer information is a key part of going through CDPs. Security hygiene or cybersecurity hygiene, topic number four. This is overall just basic health and security for hardware and software and this is just a critical thing with today's day and age. Uh, there's more and more security attempts to break through security at organizations. Usually within the month, you'll see or get an update from one of your data banks or whoever it may be. There's been a security breach. I just had one with my uh, healthcare care provider this summer. And so there's all sorts of aspects to making sure that you go through just basic steps with just health and security hygiene overall with your organization. Now, this comes into how do we apply this into an organization? Well, there's all the common steps of using anti-malware, firewalls. There's all sorts of phishing attempts that happen that are out there, uh, especially via email. And you have to make sure that you have a process in place to handle either updates to those or it training and educating your staff and even your personal life, your family members, on what to watch out for. The biggest thing here for organizations, especially with the impact of the pandemic, would be require VPN use for any remote workers. Tie in using network segregation overall as well, because those aspects will keep you secure when they're not in your office on your network. That'll bring them back in and give you that control. If you're not doing that, ensuring that you're doing that is critical. Strong password policies. This is, I would say, just it's it's been hammered home for years and years and still – I'm shocked at where we see my personal life my wife who doesn't want to use strong passwords because she has her go-to ones. Overall though that's where there's a lot of tools out there that help enforce that but looking at the length of those as well, additional characters and numbers, capitalization, etc that benefit that strength of the password. Alongside of that though, and a lot of applications and Organizations have added in multi-factor authentication, and bringing that into play is key because that really does drive in an additional layer of protection, which is great. So there's a lot more here, regularly patching, updating software, encryption is huge, and then a lot of times it's employee-owned devices that are also the concern, right? So how many phones come in and connect to your Wi-Fi at your organization, ensuring that you have that all addressed, even things like printers, making sure those are secure. Overall, there's just a lot of great standard common sense practices around security hygiene, cybersecurity hygiene that should be a set go-to check off the list yearly review that you do at your organization. As we move into even more being digital, and we saw the force of that, of digital transformation accelerating at a, a pace beyond what it was even predicted to be due to COVID, There's that many more things with platforms and e-commerce solutions and payment providers that if you're implementing, you need to make sure that you're following the best practices around security as you implement and integrate all the different solutions that an organization may have that need to be connected. Multi-cloud infrastructure really is a culmination of just where I think the application and, and hosting side has grown into over the years. Back in the day, it was, you know, the server and the data center, and you had the the man traps. We still have data centers that are all out there. I mean, the biggest thing I always say is the cloud is still a server in a, a room somewhere. And it's really about the ability, though, now that I can go and have my application hosted in different functions of my needs as an organization, different pieces of my applications hosted in different clouds and really having the ability to have the freedom of choice. And I can go to Azure. I can go to AWS. I could go to a custom cloud solution that's out there with storage. There's all sorts of options now to choose from. Most of them allow you to do very similar aspects of things. We pick on the two big ones, Azure and AWS. All of them can do big data processing. All of them have storage. All of them can host CRMs or have those. But then we also have applications that are cloud-based, right, SaaS-based. So with that SaaS in the cloud, now we're going out and we have the ability for scalability, right? So I have the aspects of going out and having an international delivery, but the speed is still there because I'm distributed through multiple cloud hosting locations, So there's a lot of benefit to multi cloud and multi location aspects. Overall, though, there's also some cons and some of that comes in with complexity of management. If you have both applications in Azure and AWS, you have two different levels of management that you have to have. We have hybrid approaches that are happening where people are going in and they're both doing local data centers inside their organization and stuff in the cloud. You're managing in multiple areas. So overall, lots of great uses that you can have with multi-cloud. You can also leverage IAAS, infrastructure as a service, and we can have platform as a service, and I mentioned already software as a service, right? So we can use the multi-cloud infrastructure just for the purpose of redundancy and system backup if that is a concern for your organization, as it really has benefits for the end user as the organization, for all of their end users to be able to still access the information or site or application when they need to. So the multi-cloud approach has really just grown, as I've mentioned, and I think a lot of that also has stemmed from solutions like Salesforce and others like Office 365, where they're providing all of that in the cloud now, and they are going into the you know browser-based approach versus the hard application install on the local machine, and then having that always connect. Or you have a hybrid where you have both options. I have the application as well as I have the browser-based interface. Data science. This one is an exciting area for me. I've been really trying to dig into it the past few years. I am not a data scientist by any means, but it's more been just an interest area as so much more is being done with all of the volume of data that has been collected over the years now. Big data, I always say, was... It's been around for a long time now from when it first really started coming to be a buzzword. And it really is, I think, in 2022, taking the next step with the push for data science and data scientists to come in and really look at the analysis and models and creating actionable plants. And at the end of the day, data science is so much more than just the algorithms and those models. It's actually the analysis that you are using to make decisions And what you're solving for. But a lot of that stems from the beginning part of it, which is the scientific side of it. And so there's different methods that we go through with data science. And one of the biggest areas kind of coming out of that is the growth of ML and AI. Overall, though, data science, I think, is just going to continue to see growth in terms of individual teams that are actually stood up inside of organizations. I've seen a lot of that growth already but I'm just going to expect continued growth in those areas as we move forward into 2022. And all of that stems around from having tools like the CDP that we talked about earlier, the multi-cloud infrastructure, where we have the opportunity to do big data analysis and run queries and test out new ML models. So there's a a multitude of different disciplines under data science, in my perspective, that are really going to continue to grow organizations. Now, the use of all this data ties into also the cleanliness of that data. The cleanliness is the most important part. And we can talk about structured versus unstructured data, data warehouses, data lakes. And with all of that, it's a key area for where you need to understand what you need to do. That's where data scientists can come in and start to help. They have to answer the business problems through the use of all the data that's there and in different means of whether they structure or unstructure it a lot more like to go unstructured on the data lake side and really just do their queries. And when they build that out, it then gives them the structure that they need for that specific query and build out. That's where we really want to see the growth of individuals who have that scientific and mathematical mind to build, but also the business knowledge and skill set to understand how to answer those questions and deliver it in a simple interface for the end users. So as we look at, The artificial intelligence side of everything and we're in the seventh inning here, so we're, we're almost through. We go 10 with the uh, buzzword topics here, but artificial intelligence is at the end of the day, the simulation of human intelligence by machines and there's all sorts of different artificial intelligence frameworks and I've got those highlighted in the left there. If you have any interest in this space, you are probably recognizing almost all of those or at least a few and there's a lot of different ways that we can look to have AI be built into the internal processes of an organization. Statista had a great chart from 2020 that I just wanted to make sure that we talked through, is what is the leading drivers for AI adoption? And the first and foremost, and and it was so great to see that this was the leading driver, is to deliver a better customer experience. And that, at the end of the day, again, goes back to how we're utilizing CDPs and that information. The AI frameworks can parse the data from those CDPs and use it to then help deliver smart segments into what we're going to deliver, choosing the next best content for that segment based off of the analytics data from the website. It can pull in from the CRM what is the top-selling region and provide information there. It can pull in from your e-commerce OMS what products are selling with these products? We've seen this used in different organizations. We're just seeing it used even more now. And especially as AI has become more affordable to implement and different platforms have started to implement AI functionality, it really is going to take 2022 into the next level of AI utilization through multiple areas of your customer experience. The next one, which is even, you know, more critical in my personal opinion, is to improve employee productivity. And the improvement of employee productivity is huge because there used to be all this work done if you were on the data side in spreadsheets and looking to build out and understand what information was trending and identifying the different patterns. And there was aspects of functionality inside those tools when you're working with spreadsheets. But there's other employee productivity too. Choosing when to schedule the best time to post on social. You can manually choose it, or you can let an AI solution actually tell you that this is the most engagement time that you get from all of your followers, and here's when to actually post this post. Take it a step further. Not only this post, but this category of posts. If you have different topics or services, you can post at different times that best engage those audiences. If there's a shift, it can alert you to that. So employee productivity is actually increasing because they have smarter information coming to them that's telling them what's happening before they have to start going and look for what's happening. So it's an incredible growth opportunity on the employee side to let the tools benefit their decision-making because they're being informed through them. A lot of other areas that were listed out there for leading drivers. One of the aspects of AI overall that a lot of people have talked about in the industry the past year or so has really been the the growth of chatbot utilization and when is it appropriate to have an AI powered chatbot versus when the, the human experience starts. And the biggest thing I can say there is ensuring that whatever implementation you go forward with, make sure that your AI chatbot correctly passes that information through either CRM, CDP, whatever you have in place. So that if you do get a live person, they don't start asking you the same questions the chatbot did. It should be empowering them with information already collected that's very common to start with before tying up a support agent in that live chat. So it's really interesting. Go out, play with it on different sites. You can see which ones have done it well and which ones haven't. And it's one area that if you are going to look to implement anything with AI is ensuring that the human experience at the end of the day and the output of what that AI is utilized for, is accurately delivering what it should be. And that a lot of times comes back to making sure that you're looking at the customer experience or the employee experience and ensuring that it is driving to what they need in the human experience of engaging with you or your organization, your website or app, whatever it may be. Mobile first. The next few slides are really going to go into a bit more of the UX and and visual design uh, front end. So mobile first it's been around for a long time. Don't get me wrong. It's still one though that I wanted to focus on for going into 2022 because in 2022, the majority of website visitors will come from a mobile device. So if you want to make sure that you're appearing relevant and providing the best possible user experience, a mobile first website is essential. Mobile users are continuing to generate over 54% of all website traffic in 2021. And in 2021, the number of Smartphone users in the U.S. exceeded 280 million. So we have a device-first experience that is starting on mobile. Ensuring that your website starts in a mobile-first design process is critical because there's a lot of information that you can present, but when you are showing it on a mobile device, scrolling still happens, but there are different aspects to how that engagement really comes from what's most important. And visually, what do you still need to show? So we can always, with responsive, expand and contract the amount of information based on the screen size, but really start with that mobile-first experience so that you know that you are attributing the most important content is always going to reach that end user. The image on the right is a great one, if you haven't seen it before, of just how the thumb is naturally used in a mobile device when you're holding it. And this is uh, really interesting to see how Apple has, even in their latest iOS 15, shifted the UI of Safari, their web browser, to actually bring some of the bottom bottom of the screen more into play with the utility navigation bar and going through different share tools and everything at the bottom now because that's naturally where your thumb is. Before, it was more of a two-hand approach where you would hold it in one hand and you'd use your index finger typically of the other hand. And it didn't matter as much, but more people are doing the one handed and the thumb as the main touch input device to call it that. And you can see right the top section of your device is stretching what is not natural anymore. So we were placing UI elements into an, a difficult to reach location, bring it back in to the natural areas. Really understand that there's a lot of great tools out there that also help you understand how your users use your sites and how far they scroll heat mapping tools, et cetera. And it's really interesting when we use that user behavior analysis to understand where to place elements on a site, how far to have content reach from a scroll perspective, and just really understanding what are users experiencing versus what a designer thinks is best. Tie the two together. Use best practices, use the research that's out there, but also let your users give you the correct commentary of where you may need to make adjustments. The other aspect of just mobile first that I would say is that even search engines are focusing on the mobile friendliness of a website and Google has been using this actually since 2016 and they're continuing to look at the speed and performance. So when you go in that mobile first design, it's also all about the performance and speed for ranking and mobile friendliness for that ranking signal. So we want to make sure that it's optimized on the mobile devices, and you want to make sure that you are accounting for the fact that almost 61% of just organic search engine visits in the U.S., so that's people going to Google and typing it in, so it's an organic search engine search, 61% were all on mobile. So if you want to come up and search, you have to make sure that you are reaching your audience on the mobile device by providing the best possible mobile experience human computer interaction this is not a new buzzword but it is a buzzword continuing into 2022 that has been surfacing with all the different aspects of the continued growth of understanding how we interact with our devices and overall it's just ensuring that when we look at the interfaces that we build and the way that we are building out different functionality that we're doing it from, again, that human mindset of how are we interacting with the device and is the device providing back the expected information in the right context for me as the end user. So there's different disciplines of human-computer interaction. There's a computer science, human factor engineering, and cognitive science approaches. Now, overall, all this goes into how people use websites and what you do when you plan specific UI Elements, there's all sorts of best practices and research and training out there surrounding this. At the end of the day, ensuring that your end user is reaching what they need to reach, that's the most important thing. And a lot of times we like to tie analytics back into understanding the human-computer interaction, surveying where we actually get that qualitative feedback as well as quantitative about how people are interacting with what we've built. This goes into apps, websites, It even goes into how you are just powering on devices and the expected understanding of how to do all of that. It's a field that continues to grow. I've seen more and more programs surrounding human-computer interaction. So it's one that I would definitely recommend going into 2022. That is a a key area as we continue to have digital be the primary experience that people have in their day-to-day lives. All right. We're on our last point. We made it all the way through with 10 buzzwords, and our last one is all about user-centered design. So user-centered design is also known as human-centered design, or it's also known as human-centric design. So it's pretty hard. I didn't want to put all of those immediately onto the slide. I would make it even more busy than it already is. But the whole idea behind user-centered design, or one of those other t- terms that it's also called, is keeping the user first and foremost in any decision-making process. And so the way that technology evolves, we don't just want to add something shiny and new. We want to add what the user needs. And there's business decisions, there's user recommendations. At the end of the day, I want to make sure that the ultimate user need is what is driving what is designed. And there's a process through this, and there's these five steps that have been created and they're taught and the aspect of going through this, right, we start with emphasize. We want to go in and we want to observe and establish empathy with the users. Who are they, right? Identify the personas that come in and engage with your website or your app. Uh, do user interviews. Build out an experience journey map. How do they experience what they're looking for when they come in and start searching or browsing through your site? Then we move into discover and define. We gather insights and test and define known user needs. We really want to look at understanding their desires. What are your business goals alongside of users' desires? And then what's the problem? And then monitor their behavior as they continue moving through. Ideate and create. So this is a big area of growth that I would say over the past four or five years, we've seen even more willingness to prototype and ideate and create, and that leads into taking these wireframes and building them out into a prototype to simulate a solution and validating it through different testing methods. We also have A-B testing that helps with user-centered design. We see that some people react really well to certain colors for call-to-action buttons or certain words. It's based differently by generation. How do we bring all of those factors in as we're looking to design out a user interface, how we design out a mobile application, a website? Whatever it may be, we have to look at all those varying factors and test them. As we continue moving through, we develop and completely repeat the process over and over and over again. And this is where back in the day it used to be that you would launch a website or an application and you let it sit for a year or two. You'd make some slight updates to it and then you'd really go through a full redesign process. Now, with the capabilities that we have, we can really test this immediately on the fly. You can have thousands of tests. Amazon's running thousands of tests a day on their website. And there's all sorts of different ways to bring this into other areas as well. But the focus here is really making sure that you aren't delivering something such as smart search with an autocomplete. It's not for everyone. So sometimes an overcomplicated solution really isn't necessary. So don't just add it because it's cool. If it's not going to benefit the user, ask yourself, why am I looking to add this in when I'm designing something out? With all of that, it's the wrap-up of our 10 buzzwords going into 2022. It's a lot of different areas, a lot of varying degrees of UX and UI focused in the last three, to more core platforms, to multi-cloud infrastructure. It's a very popular ways that a lot of different solutions are starting to frame their and solution with the aspects of headless and composable. Thank you for tuning into the future by listening to the lessons for tomorrow podcast. For more information about the topics discussed today, check out the description of this episode. If you like this episode, be sure to follow this podcast wherever you listen to them to stay up to date with us while you're at it. If you wouldn't mind giving us a rating and sharing this podcast with others to prepare them for the future, And also, don't forget to follow us on social media at Lessons for Tomorrow. This episode is brought to you by AmericanEagle.com Studios. I'm your host, Tim Alenius, and I'll catch you in the next lesson.